This is so annoying. This happened today. Twitter uh -huh. killed all of the link previews everywhere. So in Slack, on, wow. on text messages, they did that yesterday. Wow. I don't know if something broke or if it's deliberate because they want you on their platform. So uh, interesting. You can't see any previews. I can't see. I can't see oh, any of this. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's yeah. horrible. You I know, think their service providers are starting to cut them off of cloud services. They're not paying Oracle bills. It could, they're not but, paying Google bills. It could be that. It could be deliberate. Where they're like, no, come to the platform. There's no, there's no tweet preview anymore. Come to the platform. So last week, Josh said something about, uh, was it Stealth Wealth? Yeah. So that's my, that's I don't know if this is a spoof, but Sam just tweeted the same row. Ditching a phone case is the latest symbol of Stealth Wealth. <laughs> that's stupid. So like like Who I don't care if stuff? I break. It's just like I honestly don't, don't know if this is a a, a, a bit. I don't know. It's done to generate clicks. So it's, it's like, like I don't care if I break my phone because I'm so wealthy. That's right. the message that you're putting out. I think Howard said that to us one time, like jokingly. Dude, I'm on some new stealth wealth shit. I bet you thought this is a sweatshirt I bought at the airport last week. Yeah, it is. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Austin's a hell of a town. Great yeah. music down. Oh man, do I love it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. How how are we looking, everybody? Yeah. Robin got me, my wife got me uh, T-shirts. They're like the dry fit, but they're a brand called Goat USA. Do you know about that? Yeah, that's what my 14-year-old uh, boy wears. Yeah. It's perfect for you. The kids wear that. <laughs> yeah. She's like, people are wearing this. I said, why are you- Did you get the extra tight size? Honestly, are you wearing Goat USA? No. I said, I'm you, not wearing this. You tell her it's for 12-year-old boys? That's for- that's I don't for, even know who it's for. for Tom Brady only, so yeah. no- uh. Is it a Brady thing? No. Um, no, no, no. It's not his brand. I don't care who it's for. It's not for me. It's not for you. I, it's funny that she dresses you like a child, though. No, she, but no, she doesn't because well, she goes tempted to. No, look, these are my shirts. Yeah, it's you all already heard. It's all from Instagram. Uh, Mark, did I hear you right at the um, at the CMT event uh, two weeks ago? Steve Cohen showed up. Yes, he did. Okay, really. So how does he not get mobbed by? Uh, he wore a hoodie over his head and he sort of scurried in and sat down and. and so Mark is his guy. So That's he was right. there. He was there for that. He was That's there right. for the content. He went to hear. No, not for the content. He went to hear Demarc sort of praise him and. Oh, okay. You know, okay, kiss the ring, and as which he did, and then. Uh, oh yeah, gray, white, blue, black. We need. We need you to. Uh, yeah, sure. So, so, so this way you'll hear yourself. So wait a minute. The where was the Where was the event? Shea uh, Stadium. JC's no. house. Yeah. No. <laughs> I got to get used to this echo here. No, it was uh, right here in Midtown. Okay. Yeah. So Manhattan. So Steve Cohen slips in with a hoodie on. That's right. Sits in the audience for Demarc's speech and then gets out of there. What type of hoodie was it? Goat USA? Because there's media there. Like there's definitely people that know who he is. I, I had by, disappeared by and I came in and somebody mentioned it and oh, okay. sent me a picture. I, and nobody was. Uh, I don't think people honestly knew at the time. Okay. And, uh, All right. Yeah. Good for him. Good, good for him. He's, he's, he's obviously good at that. We, we, we applaud that. Uh, all right, let me get, let me get my, uh, let me get my thing up. Are we going? Are we clapping? I right, wait. I don't even have my, I don't even have my thing up. Take your time. All right, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Yeah, we call a handoff. <laughs> Is this like Hannity with the football in the audience? I don't even know. Why I have a football. All right, three claps coming in. All right, let's go. Let's go. What show is this, John? Nine, what is it? 98? Welcome to The Compound and Friends. All opinions expressed by Josh Brown, Michael Batnick, and their castmates are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Redholtz Wealth Management. 
This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any investment decisions. Clients of Ritholtz Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Today's show is brought to you by Bird Dogs, the pants and shorts. I'm wearing pants today that make you look good. Bird Dog stretch khaki shorts are designed to fit slimmer through the thigh and leg, giving you a truly sculpted look. And I can confirm I've been doing leg, leg ups, stand ups, and my legs look very good, not to brag. Bird Dog shorts do the exact same thing as Lululemon, but they fit way better. Way better than regular shorts that are made of like that stiff cotton nastiness. They invented this clown knit fabric. It's a whole thing. If you want to learn more and check it out, go to birddogs.com slash compound for a free Yeti style tumbler with your order. That's birddogs.com slash compound. And you could see what I'm talking about. I got these nice gray pants on today. Birddogs.com slash compound. Every week, Josh acts shocked that there's one more episode than the last week. Yeah, I can't believe we did. Ni- I can't believe we did 98 episodes of this thing already. John, what what's you- it going to be next week? Uh, I think 99. Mike. 99's a big. That's everyone's a milestone now. From now on. All right, welcome to the Compound and Friends, your favorite investing podcast. This is a really uh, action-packed episode. All sorts of great analysis on what's going on in the markets. I am here today. With my co-host, as always, Mr. Michael Batnick. Michael, say hello to everyone. Hello, hello. All right. Zero percent chance. Zero percent chance. All right. Uh, We also have special guests. They're all special guests, uh, but I've been looking forward to the show for a long time. Mark Newton is here. Mark is a managing director and head of technical strategy at Fundstrat Global Advisors. As a former, I have a long bio for you. I'm going to do the whole thing, okay? Just sit sit tight. As a former managing member, owner of Newton Advisors, LLC, Mark has more than 30 years of buy and sell side experience in the financial services industry. He formerly worked with Diamondback and Morgan Stanley as their technical strategist before moving to New York City in 2004. Mark traded equity options as a market maker, floor trader at the CBOE and worked in risk management. Mark is also a member of the Market Technicians Association and a former member of the CBOE, CBOT, and PHL. It's the Philadelphia, um, what is that? Philadelphia Options Exchange? Philadelphia Options Exchange, that's right. Okay. Is that where you started? Uh, yes, I did. All For right. a few weeks, I moved to Chicago. Yeah, thank you. Warm right. welcome. I appreciate welcome, that. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Josh. Thanks, Mike. Um, Great to be here. What's it like working with Tom? We love Tom Lee. So what's it like working with Tom? Yeah, look, it's wonderful. The guy is a brilliant uh, mind. He looks at the world outside the box, very different than anybody. Yeah. So uh, people appreciate his value added, and uh, he doesn't care what people think, which is a wonderful quality. He really, he really, he's one of those people that, like, throw whatever you want at him. He like, he's like, look, this is my opinion. I don't want to get into a fight with you about it. This is how I feel. Well, he dissects things in an intermediate term manner. And I think, you know, FinTwit has become largely a lot of day traders that expect immediate results. And and his yeah. whole point is that, you know, this is happening and it might take a little bit to play out. But, you know, certainly the results speak for themselves. He's you know how a- psychotic FinTwit is? Not only do they expect things to play out immediately, they expect a hundred, they expect a, a thousand batting average. Like, yeah. oh, you said this one wrong thing in April, therefore you're an idiot. So that's that's obviously poisonous. And then, in addition, in addition to which, they don't even pay for the research. They're just offended by you having an opinion. <laughs> they expect you to give everything for free, and you have to be right all the time. And, yeah, and if right. you're wrong on one call a year ago, then you have to address it and why you were wrong right. and here why you lost my, them. Here money. are my insights for free. You pay nothing for them, and 
I promise I'll never get anything wrong ever. Despite you not telling the investor to sell at the lows, they do, and then they blame you, and then it goes up, and then they're they're Hey, what what happens when you and Tom disagree? Because you're looking at technicals, and he's very often more focused on the the economy and and fundamentals. What happened? Yeah, honestly, that was a condition before I joined, and and he said, Mark, I always want you to be your own person, have independent thought, and— if you think the market's going down, you're very free to write that. I encourage that. And so it, it's wonderful. It's nice having diversity of opinion when necessary and have it play out like last year. Also, whichever one of you ends up being right, that's the message after. <laughs> Not necessarily. It's all about time frame and, and risk tolerance. And, and you know his time frame's a lot longer than mine. I'm very tactical and look at things shorter term. Right. So. so Mark, we have a lot of your charts. Before we get into all of yeah. them, how would you describe your style of technical analysis? So I'm a little different than most. I, I am more of a momentum trend follower like a lot of people are, but I do a lot with relative analysis, uh, stocks and indices and sectors relative to the S&P. And I use some time in my work, a lot of GAN, a lot of uh, Fibonacci in both price and time, which people don't understand a lot about, uh, Elliott Wave. And I, I use a lot of DeMarc. I use uh, Symbolic for all my uh, DeMarc analysis. I believe that, you know, using a, a counter trend technique, uh, you know, is really helpful when you have a, a trend following type. All right. So let's get, in, let's get into the DeMarc stuff. So it's counter trend in terms of, it's looking for things that are going too far in one direction and for those things to revert to some extent. It's, the, it's the basically count. an exhaustion system. That's what I'm talking yeah. I mean, he has 100 different indicators, but, okay. but the ones I specifically use are designed to give you exhaustion signals. In other words, selling with an uptrends or expecting things to stall out and pull back okay. and buying in downtrends. And so it's, it's great for you know normal technicians that are looking at things breaking out and you say, well— Wait a minute. There are reasons to expect this might not yeah. have legs and okay. might correct. So, so counter trend exhaustion. You could be looking for Nvidia is up seventy five percent of the last week. I'm making that. I know it's not, but you're looking for quick moves that go against the grain. Is that right? Not or necessarily are you using quick that moves. To hedge I mean, or you look. Or you. I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Are you? You're saying it's helpful to you because you are a momentum player. So having a sense of when the momentum might be running out. That's that's absolutely correct. When okay. you use it on multiple time frames, it is really helpful to see okay. that, okay, NVIDIA might have a short-term sell, and Tesla did the other day. However, the weekly or the monthly counts are not there. So in other words, it's right to buy dips because the move still has longevity. Okay. That's a really tricky thing for people when they latch onto a winning trade is knowing when it's over. And in, if anything, the more a stock moves in a certain direction, the more confident you become that you're right. So it's 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 really hard to counteract that. I wish I owned Nvidia. I wish I owned Tesla. And right. yeah, sure, I make the same mistakes as everybody else, and it moves up, and you sell it, and it goes down, and you probably chase it and buy dips. But it's uh, look, uh, it's a tricky process that takes time, knowing how to uh, set stops but stay in a trending move to the full. Well, that's of it. That, that's why you need a process. So, for example, I bought regional banks at the lows, and this is not to brag; it's the opposite. Not to brag. No, it's the opposite. I probably should have, with the benefit of hindsight, I probably should have sold last week, but I didn't. And now it's coming in a decent amount. And now I'm like, I'm stuck. What do I do? Regional banks have not uh, technically uh, rolled over to the extent that you think they're going to go back to new lows. I mean, there's been I'm a lot of it. talk in recent days about uh, you know capital restrictions and yeah. this and that that yeah. I think are probably not healthy. But DeMarc signals will tell you that 
If you look at ratios of KRE to KBE, we're within a couple of days of when that bottoms. So I actually expect banks are going to rally out of this, which I'm is going to be important that. I'm hold you to that. the market. <laughs> now, intermediate term, look, banks are in rough shape. Yeah. We've seen a lot of no, damage. No, they're in a downtrend. But for the time being, I expect rallies into July. Yeah. I saw something today that regional banks, if you add up all the market cap, uh, it's less than Caterpillar. The, com- the combined market cap of uh, Wells Fargo and Bank of America. Yeah, like, yeah t- they're tiny. All right. Um, so when you say relative, so the the gist of this is like you're looking for sectors that are doing better than the overall index just to show you where the strength is in the market and then trying to decide whether or not there's still an opportunity. Sort of emerging trends within sectors and subsectors as well as deteriorating trends where they're starting to roll over that okay. might not be immediately apparent when looking at a – an ETF, which is all large cap dominated. And so when you split them up into smaller subsectors and look at relative analysis, it really helps you to put things into perspective. Okay. And how do, how do the clients utilize that from like, from your experience, what are they looking to get out of that? Are they using that to maybe protect themselves from a sector that's relatively weakening or look for buying opportunities in the the strengthening sectors? So this is not necessarily a, a trading newsletter for day by day. Understood. Uh, different clients get out of it what they want. Some people yeah. are fundamentally oriented and enjoy my technical take simply for color of the market because I'll talk about dollar yen or yields or what's happening with different sectors. I always try to have a little bit more of a shorter time frame than my peers. So I want I want to know, you know, not what I hope what can happen in a year, but what's happening now in the market and what's going to happen over the next four to six weeks and hopefully longer. So I'm looking okay. at breakouts in different sectors, different stocks. These groups should be emerging. So to answer your question, uh, some people like it as color. I do provide a long list of, of that I call upticks as, yeah. as a spin on we were going, Isaac we've Newton's been going through your stuff over the last couple of days. And, yeah. uh, you know, some people like it for for hedging and risk management for those that, that own it and maybe want to stay in the idea. And, uh, and some people hate it. Where, where do you where do you think the state of technical analysis is with the context of a lot of people for a long time used to say it's voodoo, it's bullshit, and I think there's been a gradual acceptance that now maybe there's something to very to the very basic idea of supply and demand within. I, I, look, share I still prices. think that the U.S. embraces technical analysis less than than overseas and in countries like India and Australia and Japan and they're, they're countries that use it a lot more. I would say that the U.S. and the the prudent rule standard, you have to manage money uh, for your constituents based on fundamentals, has limited people from getting into technical analysis and learning about it because they've grown up learning about fundamentals their whole career. So, right. yeah, obviously it helps to take the blindfold off, in my opinion, if you can look at things from a multi-faceted perspective. And, and it helps to, obviously, I think, um, you know, look, I, I failed level two of the CFA back in 1998. So I, I figured oh, no, out we, when had, I was, we had that information. I was going to get into that. Yeah, great. <laughs> okay. Uh, and you're doing this 30 years. So the style that you've developed, obviously, it's as a result of things you've seen work and not work. It sounds like you're focused on your brand of technical analysis and you're not terribly interested in things like pattern matching. Uh, or do I have that wrong? Like, like, like there's other types of technical analysis that might focus more on formations in the market. I, I think formations are incredibly important and they oh, continue okay. to work time to time again. I mean, there's been people that have written a lot of, a lot of good books about that. Uh, I, I think they work. I think people don't manage money correctly. There's slippage. They, they do things wrong. But high volume breakouts on the upside or downside or breaking trend lines are, in my work, much more important than what something does relative to a 200-day moving average or 50-day. That's, okay. that's 
a lot of technicians or people that are getting into technical analysis and say, well, this is what technicians use. That's honestly Well, people getting into TA start with uh, moving averages because of fairly simple concept. Well, I think, you know, Edwards and McGee wrote the Bible, uh, technical analysis and stock trends back in the 40s or 50s. It shows you powder analysis and explains divergences. And, and from there, you go on to William O'Neill and how to make money in stocks and finding stocks or sectors uh, that are R. breaking R. out. R.I.P. William O'Neill just passed. I know. Yeah. He's a kind of a giant. We haven't even really discussed it on uh, on the show, did we? Uh, we did not. That happened last week? IBD was uh, enormous. Uh, a couple Investors weeks ago. Enormous. Business Daily. Uh, yeah, he was, a, he was a really big deal. Um, so Mark, hold on. Let, but last thing before we jump into the actual meat of the show, explain to us the difference between being able to objectively analyze a chart versus once you put on a position and there's emotions involved. Like you are going through all of these things, but you have the benefit, the luxury of not having, I know you have skin in the game because it's your reputation, but not actual right. money on the line, which changes everything. Even though it should, even though it shouldn't. No, but, oh, yeah, right. but, it, but, but we're humans. Right. Those are psychological questions where each of us has our own degree of how we manage risk. And, uh, you know, I, I sometimes I find uh, different times of the year that it's easier for me to, to make money for others than other times or make money for myself uh, where I don't make stupid mistakes. And we all have our own patterns and cycles that similar to what govern the markets that, that allow us to do. But you have to have discipline. I and, peak in and, March. That's like my season. <laughs> yeah, season. Michael trades really well in Q1, and then and then you have to sell him. You have to fade him all the way through the rest of the year. So, yeah, you, you could have things going on in your life that might color how you look at uh, what you're looking at or just how, how much you'll adhere to your own discipline. I agree with that. I think uh, it's important to stick to what you know. I have probably six to ten things that I look at that I think are extraordinarily important, and I don't know how I would ever, uh, you know, do things differently. So they they help me, and I probably have a shorter time frame. I'm not a day trader. I'm not a long term investor. I'm more of a swing or position trader, and and I think those indicators uh, fit well with how I look at the world. That's awesome. Well, let's dive in. We're so we're so uh, we're so glad to have you walk us yeah. through this stuff. So uh, the first chart we're, we're saying buy the dip market. Mike, what are we looking at to to start this off? Just for, first and foremost, this chart comes from uh, Bloomberg's Michael McDonough, and it's showing the S and P five hundred average return following down days by year. And it might not feel this way. In fact, you certainly couldn't predict this that two thousand twenty three would be the second strongest by the dip year. Holy shit, this goes back to the 30s? Unbelievable. Okay, so again, what we're saying is the day after a down day, 2023 has been the strongest other than 2020. Remarkable. So meaning like you've been rewarded the most this year. So Mark, it looks go like ahead. we're going to avoid the third time this year that S&P has fallen for four days or more because it looks like we're positive as of about an hour ago. So 20 bits we're, we're up, probably yep. yeah. So yeah, in general, it's been difficult to find uh, a decline that's been extending to the downside, you know, for any length of time. It Why do you think that is? Do you think, it's be do you think it's because so many people were just leaning the wrong way? And so anytime there is a dip, you just have a really quick rush for, for under-allocated folks. I've been to, leaning on positioning, and this guy was busting my chops earlier in the year. No, but now, I saw no, him on CNBC yesterday circle. saying positioning. positioning. I saw that. I saw that. Well, positioning positioning was obviously wildly different than it, uh, going into the year than probably it is now. That's right. I think right. people have figured Look, it out. sentiment is probably one of the most important things investors can pay attention to, more so than Fed policy or earnings or 
whether the Fed's going to hike a quarter or nothing. I mean, look, if you find times when there's rampant amount of bearishness and, and, and or bullishness, uh, those are really, really important times. I, I don't have any answer as to you know why a couple down ticks might mean it's a buy. The Everybody's got their own answer as to why that might happen. Uh, I don't have any insight. I know that coming into the year, um, you know, extraordinary level of bearishness into last fall. Yeah. And we saw technology emerge off the lows, show really good strength. And uh, Well, it doesn't matter the why. I don't know why it's happening either. But what we do know factually is that down days are being followed by strong days to a degree that has happened only once in 2020 over the last 90 years. Well, the good news is if you're a bullish investor is that it's no longer just a technology uh, market that, that it's broadened out substantially in recent weeks. Yeah. You've seen industrials and discretionary and even financials have bounced up until this past week, but it's been, it's gotten more broad based. It was really a source of confusion for many people and, and, you know, many of the institutions I talked to, they dug in their heels. They say, well, earnings revisions are bad. They're going down. Uh, the Fed, you know, we're going into a recession and right. we can't get out. So all these, there were different reasons. Every year it's something different. But but normally this is one of the strangest years where technicals have diverged from fundamental and macro policy where everything came into the year very much negative. A lot of reasons to be negative that made a lot of sense. Right. The market took off like a rocket. People didn't want to believe and got caught flat-footed. And now they've had to gradually uh, start to play catch-up. And I would argue that the retail has done that a little bit. Institutions are still slow to, you know, go all in. I mean, they're certainly watching, but people, uh, <laughs> you know, people are still on the sidelines, the honestly. It's right, been, the, the negativity is still pervasive. Three reasons. If, and you can, all of you can, can look at this and, and gauge whether I'm right or not. So people say three things. They say, oh, the market's so overbought. The Qs are 25% above the 200 yeah, yeah, yeah. They say, oh, it's a low volume rally. That's, a, that's, people what, have that's that the before. new thing that Is it overbought saying. bullish? The, the, the third thing is that, oh, it's so selective. There's only seven stocks carrying. When you hear those three things, you know that everybody's fighting it. They're, they think of reasons why it needs to come down. They're not yeah. wildly speculating and buying calls and, and you know minting money on the upside. Wait, what were those three reasons? One more time. So overbought conditions. Yep. Low volume. Uh, low volume and selective participation. Right. And so I would say that when you hear that go away and everybody's starting to make money, which I think does happen into mid to late July, that's when you need to pay attention. That's when sentiment truly will get, you know, a lot more complacent and or bullish where, you know, you do have the chance of a, of a short-term pullback. But I, I, I'm pretty encouraged by uh, the cycles and what's happened and uh, what I do think. You, for the do you think half. if we had a short-term pullback um, in July, August, do you think we would get as bearish as we were in February? Not us in this room, but just generally, do you think that same level of bearishness from February and March would return? I do. A lot of it depends on on or the why. events Maybe that the coincide why. with yeah. the market declining. And if it seems like a big thing, and if it's unexpected by the market, that's what causes the VIX to spike. That's what people gets people really skittish. Yeah. Um, look, a drip down like we've seen the last four days is not that negative. You still see great performance out of most of the sectors. Look so. at the VIX. Just crushed it. It's a new yeah, the VIX should be multi-year low, 12.8. It, I mean, it's under 13. But that's another thing. That's, the first that's time, probably number four of right. the sentiment reasons. Everybody says, well, the VIX doesn't work anymore. And I'm like, hogwash. You know, I used to trade equity options on the floor. The VIX, unless you have a you could, say, really bull, you could say bullshit on this show. I Don't can't worry. say hogwash. <laughs> no, you can definitely say that, but I'm also giving you <laughs> other options. Malarkey. Wait, the VIX does work. Why? Uh, it, it can, it goes up dramatically when you have unexpected things that the market doesn't expect. Yeah. What has uh, been declines. unexpected this year? Well, the, the regional bank crisis in, in late February into March. All right. So the VIX spiked a little bit. Got, got about The 30. criticism of the VIX lately, I'd love to get your take on this, is that it only measures a very specific time frame. 
Right. And if people are hedging risk either shorter term or longer term, they're not uh, accurately being captured as people who are nervous. I, I don't disagree. I don't, I don't agree with that. I think that— you don't, you don't agree with that. I think there's a time this year the VIX will start to spike, but a meaningful rally in the VIX, uh, it's probably a little bit premature. I mean, the VIX is—whenever stocks go sideways or go higher or grind lower, the VIX goes lower, and it should. Implied volatility is uh, contracts when things move slowly. We Between March and May, we were sideways in a very tight range. The VIX should have been plummeting during that time, and it was. But guess what so also— the VIX, Oh, all these concerns. We're going into a recession. No, wait, going, but didn't and it's you like, hear, th- Those don't matter. The VIX isn't going to go up because uh, somebody thinks that, you know, <laughs> oh, the R word is coming, and therefore uh, the VIX should be higher. Well, the risk-reward is horrible to be not long implied volatility. Don't you see what's going to happen? And I'm like— but didn't you hear There's people no say, action. Mark, didn't, didn't you hear people say to you or say in general um, that the buying opportunity will come only when the VIX is 40 plus or 35 plus we or need whatever? Capitulation. The, Everyone, a lot of people and were then saying that. We really that. didn't get that magnitude of a VIX spike, even at like the peak of the Silicon Valley Bank stuff. Like we just haven't or had even it. Even in October. I don't think we had the VIX peak The market rallies substantially as the VIX is going down. And, and, and yes, uh, during violence spikes in the VIX, that's times of when generally market turmoil. Of course, we know the VIX can go up during market advances and declines, but in general, normally when markets are selling off, does the VIX spike? So at times of fear, it's generally good if you can uh, try to buy into that, hold your nose and buy. But 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 that's not— I just think they they said, like, I don't want to buy until the VIX really spikes, and it didn't. People were people said we need capitulation. Says who? Why do you need that? The VIX the VIX got as high as thirty five in October. Capitulation. We, was, we, we can certainly grind sideways for a number of years. We don't have to. <laughs> this whole age of social media and the quickness of dissemination. Everybody wants either you're in a bull market or a bear market. You hear every day. Well, twenty percent. That's a new bull market, and uh, you know we can easily go have a bear market and go sideways for a couple of years, or have a brief rally in the seventies. We made a brief new high, and then it rolled over again. Yeah, I could I could make a strong case that we're in a period like the '70s, where we have right. a a period like 2000 to 2010. You have an early decade bear market, you come out of it for a couple of years, and then you, you go back one. into it for yeah. the latter part of the decade. Recession can't be avoided, but it can be postponed. So yeah. the Fed's hikes. This guy named Danny Blankwater, uh, Blank Blanchflower, he used Blanchflower. to set rates yeah. for the BOE. So he said. You know, normally the rate hikes take about 18 months to even experience the effects of those. So we've had 500 basis points of rate hikes in 14 months. He's like, people saying, well, well, let's watch and see what this data comes in. And if it's, well, you know, if it's high, then we won't do any. It's like, oh, this is garbage. We haven't even felt the effects of any of this yet. You don't think the first rate hikes have, have been felt psychologically? Then what were all the layoffs about uh, last year? Felt them in the housing market. Housing market is arguably fine. I, I think that people aren't selling their homes like me, who am a new empty nester. Why would I sell my my mortgage at three percent to go move somewhere at six? Well, the existing home sales it's market like is new not home fine. sales are, are skyrocketing. It's well, going to be the labor market and homes that are going to hold the consumer in there while the stock market okay, rallies. I agree with that. I don't think that the labor market, like in the aggregate, has felt the effects of even the first rate hikes. Of and my at my only evidence is that we're at three and a half percent unemployment. So right. I know definitively it's, it's that it's a strange post-COVID, uh, you know, economy that nobody can understand, and there's still a huge demand for for labor. And and yeah, it, it's odd. But I'm no economist. Even the economists aren't aren't correct. So that's right. why let's wh- do this bespoke chart, Mike. So this is mostly noise, but I would be interested to hear your take, Mark. Uh, this is from bespoke. It says the old saying is that the dumb money trades at the open. 
while the smart money trades at the close. Since the S&P's last all-time high in January 2022, the prior close through the first half hour of trading, so really, you know, 9.30 to 10 Eastern, has accounted for essentially all of the market's decline. So a chart that we're looking at shows buy and hold. It shows the first half hour, the middle of the day, and the final hour. And again, just reiterating, reiterating what Bespoke said, all of the declines essentially happen in the first half hour of the day, which is noisy but interesting nonetheless. Mark, any any thoughts here? I, I think it's interesting. I, I'm not necessarily uh, the kind of quant that, that pulls out stats to try to justify my narrative. I think that, uh, you know, we're not going to learn anything by saying this is happening. Well, it's, it's, it's not actionable, it's, but it's, it's interesting. It's, it's very interesting, yeah. I don't agree with the premise that dumb money trades at the open. They have to trade with well, someone. They, they put it in so quotes. Only dumb money trading with dumb oh, money. I think, I think they, you could say that smart money trades at the very open and at the very close. They put the day is, is slackluster. Middle of the day is a dead zone. I do, right. But I do agree. Generally speaking, retail, which is pejoratively been called dumb money, uh, probably does trade in the first half That's hour. That's a nice word, pejoratively, yeah. Thank you. got to add that to the Newton look lexicon. At look at that. Look at that. Dresses like a nine-year-old, speaks like an Oxford professor. It's really it's super impressive. Pretty, pretty good. Uh, all right, let's. Are we getting into Mark stuff now? Let's do it. Okay. So, so I think the the major point that we're leading with here is that you see the SPX as being healthy technically, broadening out, which started back on May seventeenth, has not reached upside targets in either price or time, and minor weakness is still viable. So. What, what are we looking at here? And just expand on that, if you will. Like, what's your overall premise for where we stand today? Well, I'm a big trendline guy. We saw the first evidence of us really breaking out uh, towards the beginning of the year. And, and we saw a big surge in technology. And, uh, you know, markets started to look a lot healthier. It was really the move above 4,200 in mid-May that caused some capitulation in shorts. That's when a lot of other sectors started to kick into gear. You look in the last month, we've seen discretionary communication services, but largely it's been industrials and tech. So it's not just FANG. It's been, you know, semiconductors Dude, or many ho- parts home, of software. Home builders. Walmart. Yeah, okay, so consumer discretionary. So, yeah, the, the builders are have gone crazy. You look at uh, casino stocks. You look at some of these leisure uh, Cruises. airlines. Cruise lines are, that's arguably, those are a bit stretched. None but, of these are uh, AI stocks. <laughs> yeah. Impo- importantly. Right. Okay. So when you see that kind of concerted move across all of those different sectors that have nothing to do with each other, what's your like? What's your take on that? The market showed its hand in mid-May, and and there were two things that could have happened. Either the first was uh, you attempt to rally a little bit in tech, it fails, it rolls over, and the whole market rolls over. Or the second scenario, which has happened, is that the rest of the market joins suit and joins technology. And I view that as being healthy at a time when it was rampant pessimism, even over the last few months. And that ended probably a few weeks ago where people started to say, wow, you know, I'm wrong. The market's going up and it's being broad-based and I really need to figure you know out. I've, you know, I've noticed that uh, uh, Michael's probably uh, been talking about it way longer than I have, but there is a tendency, I don't know if it's social media or what it is, when the breadth is narrow and when there's a rally that a lot of people missed because right. it's narrowly concentrated, right. the knee-jerk reaction from the crowd, most of whom are now trailing the index, let's say, the knee-jerk reaction is the breadth is narrowing. This won't end well. And they assume that the next move is a catch down right. where the winners roll over to join the losers. And yet, over the last 10 years, almost every time there's been that narrowing, the resolution was to the upside with the rest of the sectors catching up. 
Why do people keep getting fooled by that? I, I don't necessarily agree with that. I would say that uh, in, in the early part of 2020, uh, the broader market peaked out in January. The S&P and NASDAQ continued up into February, but it was very narrow breadth at the highs after an extended move. Right. Uh, the same thing happened in late 2021 that, that gave me some clues that the market might actually have a down year in 2022 was because you know, the broader market peaked out in arguably the spring of 2021, and I have charts that we'll go through in a minute. But, you know, we started going sideways. Very few people kept up with the S&P because nobody owned FANG. So momentum and breadth started to trail and roll over. Uh, that's important after an extended run. It happens almost at every market peak. It, it's very rare that it might have been 1937 where the market just went straight down. There was no warning. But generally, you have at least six months of advance notice where advanced decline will roll over. Many popular breadth gauges will start to give you. But this and on the, on but the this, downside. But wait so, a minute. This rally started with advanced decline already low. Right. So, the, so, the, the, so it's the opposite. The, the critique was that uh, you know the first rally up the lows into February and, and the, the choppiness. Uh, you know, a sideways market is going to make momentum and breadth start to nosedive. Okay. okay. And All so right. that's. It's just a, it has been a choppy market, and now it's gotten a lot more positive, in my view, in the last month. Mark, when people talk about things being overbought, I feel like it's generally said as a negative, like, oh, you can't buy here, it's overbought. That's right. But how is that bearish? The fact that there's such an overwhelming demand for stocks, like, yeah, sure, maybe it's things need to, like, cool off and consolidate. But when you see something that's overbought, maybe maybe it is bearish for you because you're count, you'd like to do things that are counter-trivet. How do you see something that's overbought with an RSI well, above 70, for example? Elementary technical analysis would teach you that when things first get overbought, oftentimes a sign of a, an explosive move. And it's wrong to generally sell when something first gets to overbought territory. It's when it, it dips down from overbought levels that you might have a, a pullback. It's also important to look at whether it's overbought on a weekly or monthly basis, not just you know, if you work in a sell-side shop and you're writing daily, oh, it's overbought, and, and this is a term that's thrown out by all sorts of people all over the media that haven't studied technical analysis that— uh, They don't mean it the way that you mean They don't know what RSI is. Yeah, that's they just right. say casually. Like, oh, the they mean it like a right. stock just made a big move and they weren't a part of it. Right. It's overbought. That's correct. Yeah. They're using it to justify— Well, that's why market cap. They're saying, well, this technician told me it's overbought and I'm fundamentally bearish. Therefore, I think the market's going to pull back. And if it doesn't, they say, oh, he's wrong. And unfortunately, you know, technicals—we've uh, come a long way. There is a standard now as to how people look at things and how they should look at things. And— uh, you know, it's not proper just to throw out these terms without really putting in a perspective. And so, so if yeah. you see something that's overbought, you're not saying go buy it because it's overbought. You're just saying don't necessarily think that that means sell it. Look, it depends on your time frame. And if you're a day trader uh, or if you're a swing trader and something gaps up on heavy volume, the company wildly exceeds expectations and earnings and it reaches overbought territory, maybe it'll go down for a couple of days, but generally it's going to continue to go higher. You know, yeah. now if it's an RSI of 80 or above on a weekly or a monthly basis and starts to stall and momentum starts to roll over on a daily basis when weekly and monthly are overbought, it's time to pay attention. And so it all depends on time frame. I would argue that the biggest thing that investors can probably do when looking at technicals is to make sure that you marry different time frames so you really understand, uh, you know, put things in, a, like the value line is not over, it's got a weekly RSI of about a 53 or even the Russell 3000, which encompasses a majority of stocks. I mean, it's right. not wildly over. It's the Qs, and that's what draws the clicks. Right. People say, you would say Qs are overbought, and therefore the market's going to fall because we're overbought. And you have all the statisticians coming out of the woodwork like, 99 times out of 100, and, or 25%, and you get a correction. I'm like, well, yes, but not right away. 
So, Mark, the the, the Qs obviously are are up 38% year-to-date, an incredible run. Uh, within technology, if you look at the equal weights of QQEW, right. uh, it's up 19% at a new 52-week high. Yep. But RSP, the S&P equal weight, is still very much in the middle of the range that it's been for yep. months. Yep. What's your take on that part of the market? Well, or the I, S&P 495. That, or that has started to bottom out. That was part of the bottoming out process that started uh, in mid-May. The acceleration of breadth helped things like RSP break down trends, um, gave people like myself a lot of confidence that we can start to see a broadening out. So, yeah, we, we definitely need to, to continue. You know, yeah, yeah, looking at the S&P and the NASDAQ is far different than looking at things that are equal-weighted or, or – uh, you know, it would be disappointing if we see financials go right back down to the lows and all of a sudden industrials roll over and it, it, it only becomes isolated and only tech's working again. I don't think that's going to happen, though. We're seeing some really good movement in healthcare this week. It's a number one sector over the last five days. Energy had a rally yesterday. I and mean, I know it's not a great sector, tough. but yeah, I think commodities tough. are bottoming. We'll talk about that later. Energy is still uh, it's still under great. a lot of pressure. And so right, we need to see. Let's keep going through your stuff. Yep. Equal weighted indices gave their first proof. That broader market recovery had begun three weeks ago in mid-May. Value line jumped to the highest level since March. Russell 3000 pushed to new. Uh, the Russell 3000 is the Russell 1000, which are large caps, right? And then the Russell 2000, which are small caps. Okay. Right. It encompasses the majority of the markets. So right. Russell, yeah. uh, Russell 3000 pushed to new 2023 highs. Sentiment has begun to, quote unquote, respect this rally. This broadening out literally just started in recent weeks. So what are we looking at here? Well, this, to Mike's point, this is what happened uh, back in mid-May. So you see that the trend line on the right was uh, a downtrend from February of yeah. the equal-weighted S&P. So certainly between March and May, you could have said, well, this just doesn't look good, like tech's rallying, but nothing else is. It didn't. And, uh, didn't look good. And that has changed very dramatically. And I think a lot of stocks, uh, now you look at the, the caterpillars of the world and everything else, and we were making substantial progress to the upside and- uh, you know, I, I just view it as a healthy broadening out. You say that still right to favor technology right now. Equal weighted tech ETF from Invesco, which is RSPT, right. has risen to the highest levels of the year. Arguably very bullish technical breakout. So this is not just FANG. Movement in semis, various software should be respected. Pullbacks in recent days should merit still buying dips in technology. And this sector likely outperforms in the second half of 2023. Do we have this? That's what we're looking at right now. So, okay. So that's a very beautiful chart formation for those that study technical analysis, looking at equal-weighted technology, which just got up to the highest levels we've seen. Is this the retest the last couple of days? Yes, that's right. Okay. You think that'll be a successful retest? I don't know that we'll get all the way there. I think we could have bottomed today. Well, I would buy this recent dip that we've seen this week. I think tech is going to go higher into July. So what do you do? You buy non-FANG tech if you if you believe that this continues? Aside from just buying the equal ADTF. I, I still like FANG, and I would okay. still buy semiconductors. My ratio charts, relative charts of semis versus tech and also semis versus the S&P, both point to semis as still showing leadership. So Mark, I want to ask you about this. So this is stock that I own. It's AMD. It filled the gap to me. You buy this right here. And this is obviously not investment advice, but I would love to get your take on gap fills, just generally speaking. I know it's a big topic. But sometimes they work. Sometimes they don't. Normally, they don't have to be filled, but generally, that's a very strong area of support if you see a gap get down to that level. It's important to watch volume on the decline versus the prior advance. So something like this, where it had just an explosive move higher yep. and then had a huge gap, that got filled. Generally speaking, you buy that gap. 
the gap fell. So I look at about, you know, six to 10 things. I'm not going to judge my entire opinion on AMD based on one chart pattern. I'll look at daily. I'll look at weekly. I'll look at monthly. I'll look at, at uh, DeMarc's, you know, evidence of downside exhaustion as to whether it's ready to bottom yet. Um, doesn't sound like the gap, several, the gap itself factors very heavily into how you think. It, it doesn't because I'm not a, I'm not really a day trader. I'm not looking for... Well, my work shows something different. <laughs> so I am going to go ahead and tell you that that looks like an abandoned baby doji <laughs> in the works. Uh, all right. So Mark's we're not just, allowed to mock technical analysis during this hour, fair. by the way. This is my hour. So. Fair. Okay. That's true. That's true. So broadly speaking, though, you wouldn't be shocked if uh, we finish this year, um, you know, in nothing major you know, happens to change the current state of things, which of course it will, but you would not be surprised if when this year ends to see technology continue its lead versus the rest of the market. You're That's not correct. like looking for some sort of rotation right now. I know that could change. I am not looking for rotation out of technology. We have not seen any evidence of that. Okay. And the semis, they, so talk about overbought, both statistically and just emotionally, they feel really overbought. But yeah. maybe that's what's being corrected this week. But exactly. The Sox is not near former highs. It's, okay. it's getting close, but it still needs to get to 4,000, right? So there's very little resistance between where we are now and those former highs that were put in. And I would argue, you know, NVIDIA, what, the highs, NVIDIA the highs is, are from is probably, 21. NVIDIA, I, I discussed with clients, is, uh, you know, not as good of a risk reward uh, over the next three to five months because it, has gotten tremendously overbought, yeah. and a lot of my stuff's starting to say that it probably doesn't get over 450. I like stocks like AMD. I like the mean reversion traded within semis to start to play catch up. Stocks like Intel and others that have lagged that are now starting to show real acceleration. NXPI, uh, for Intel example. seems like a nightmare for technicians because they have a tape bomb pretty much every week where they're screwing something up. Like they just had one yesterday. Well, if you're a trend follower, then, then short-term tape bombs shouldn't really affect your process. So okay. you're looking at weekly or monthly and, and things are pretty much set. Like tech has been going, if we sell off a couple of days, it's not going to change trends dramatically. So yeah, if you're, if you're a day trader, then sure, you're freaking out about news and global affairs and everything else. Okay. I don't think that people like myself, uh, you know, Tom encourages, uh, you know, us not to freak out. So that's good. I try to pay attention. I, I agree with that. I like that approach. <laughs> uh, you're saying see the extent to which equal weighted sectors like tech, industrials, discretionary, and communication services have been rallying, all outperforming equal weighted SPX over the last month. Healthcare should begin to kick into gear and aid the market during this seasonally bullish time. Um, we have, do we have this chart? Is this the one from before? Yeah. Or so it's just a performance chart. It helps to okay. see. So I, I've, I've looked at both cap-weighted ETFs as well as equal-weighted. And just sometimes they don't always line up where the large cap is too dominant, so they might not be performing. But you see just in the last month, it's ranked based on that third column, which is one month. And you can see that our SPT technology has actually been the best-performing sector in the last month, even oh, though wow. it's weak this week. The equal-weight. The, the equal-weight, right. Uh, of course, the top two are large-cap technology, FANG, XLYX, okay, but it's also been equate tech, equate industrials. They're right behind them. Look, so at look that. how much equate industrials has actually beaten XLI by almost 300 basis points. Do you care? So, uh, 150 basis points. You, but in general, we've had half the market has beaten on an equated basis, which for me is encouraging. That's very interesting. Do you care about which sectors are leading because of the economic ramifications where somebody says, Oh, it's a defensive rally. It's healthcare and staples leading. Does that not really mean that much to you? I agree 100% that the defensives uh, strengthening or weakening is very important. Okay. But I don't, I don't 
say things like, well, it's a late cycle move because industrials are moving up. It's, it's my time frame is probably a little bit shorter than that. Okay. And so, uh, look, we had plenty of advance notice about the decline uh, into last year because of all that defensive strength. We also saw that in uh, 2020, right before the February decline. Okay. Uh, we're not seeing it now. Uh, defensive sectors are lagging sharply. We saw, you know, REITs are breaking down about one and a half percent today. You know, utilities are under very big pressure. Um, I'm sure you look at the ratio of XLY to XLP, which I, is hanging I, very high. I do it on a on an equal weighted basis, so I strip out the Amazons and All the right, Nikes, so what are those Depot. tickers? So, uh, mm. so yeah, you look at ratios, for example, of uh, RSPD. Okay. That's right, RSPD, RSPC. Wait, so you'll look at you'll look at discretionary versus staples. You'll equal weight the index. Yes. Indices. Look at this, Josh. Look at this. So this is the equal weight of of discretionary divided by staples. This is super bullish, right? Why? Because it's going up? Because not only is it going up, but it's not its not giving anything back. It's just hanging super high. Right. And and you can't just say, oh, that's it's, Amazon. So it's not just Amazon. Or, equal so Amazon and Tesla, I think, are 40% of XLY. Maybe even more, actually. It's like silly. Home Depot, Amazon, uh, Netflix. Uh, no, that's yeah. part no, that's, of the communication yeah, service. So, yeah, there's a number of different stocks that they're. I, I try to throw those this out. This is why it's important because it, it clouds if there's one stock that's Amazon super, and Tesla are forty percent. Right. So it's it's huge. That's, that's why good, you that's have to look skew. at that equal weight. Look, this saying. isn't this isn't a new normal. This is an old normal. And I explain to people that uh, you know we've had this for a hundred years. You know, back in the the twenties, thirties, we had AT and T, we had the Generals, General Electric, General Motors. They dominated these indices for years. So we're back into another era where we have op, Apple, Microsoft, uh, Meta. Yeah. You know, al you know, alphabet. So all these are important. It's just an important for an investor to know that to keep track with the S and P. If you don't own these these leaders and they're actually working well, you're in big trouble. You're, you're going to underperform. How, unless right. you How have do you to make up them. for that? It's, it seems like it would be almost impossible. You hire a very good technician that can try yes, to you know, pick good stocks. Can we talk about Apple? Sure. Okay. Your your words. Apple still showing no evidence of stalling. Okay, that's good. To mark exhaustion still early by three to four weeks on Apple after this broke back out to new highs, still quite early to expect peak. If Apple working well, expect gains to 197. Is this the Apple chart? That's right. Uh, is this a point and figure chart? What are, no, this DeMar is actually what are those? Oh, this DeMar is the DeMar indicators. Count. That's okay. right. So, this so where is, do these numbers come from? Can you explain this to us? I, I can, if you have the time. It'll take, <laughs> it's a little bit wonky, but. We so. have you here till, we spoke to your assistant. You're here till eight. So. <laughs> Outstanding. Okay. We have dinner coming. All right. No, but what? I will. Uh, what, so, like, give us like the if if you were just trying to explain to a college class, let's say, yeah. not so not professionals, how do you read so, a Demarc? So, count if you like look this? at the big run up into late twenty twenty one, you see what that green nine is. Yes. So, to get those, they're called TD after Tom Demarc sell setup. So it's not necessarily a sell signal per se, but oftentimes it leads to consolidation after a move. To get that signal, you need nine consecutive closes. Where the weekly daily clo closes. No, week weekly. daily, weekly, no, whatever time frame you're looking at. In I this see. case, okay. it's a weekly chart. So in this case, nine weekly closes where the close is greater than the close from four weeks ago. So you start off, you got one, two, three. If at any time, if that week closes down under the close from four weeks ago, then it eliminates the whole count and you have to start over. Start the count again. That's right. So in this case, it formed the nine. So normally you expect some exhaustion, which is what occurred. After you get that exhaustion, uh, and this, you see on the right-hand side by, of the stay chart. Stay by the mic, don't worry. On we'll the right-hand side of the chart, you see that we have a nine, but yet we've blown right past that, and we started what's called the countdown. So the countdown is 13 consecutive closes 
where the close is greater from the high from two bars ago. So this is weekly. So in general, I can look at my cycle analysis, I can look at the mark counts, and I try to fine tune when they both come together, and that can give me an above average chance of being able to predict a peak as to when it's gonna happen in absence of any technical trend okay, damage. So from one right? to nine, you're not looking at sequential weekly closes, you're looking at it from four weeks prior, but each time. It ends up being a sequential because it, it becomes it's, sequential, it's, yeah, I say. It has to be nine consecutive. And if any time it erases it, then you start again. So, so where do you have Apple? So where do you have Apple now? It looks, I mean, it looks like we- So in the right hand of the chart, reset. it's on a nine. So you see that, you see the purple nine for, this was taken by the way, maybe a week ago. It might be on a 10 at this point. I don't know. I don't have my current chart, but it's, it's likely going to take another three to five weeks before this completes, meaning that Apple has a chance of still going higher into July. Okay. So what you're basically is, this is about a stretched formation. It's a stretched uh, gain for a particular stock or index. That's what you're trying to like determine when does it get stretched too far yes. where it's most likely to snap back. That's right. It's not, you're not saying the top in Apple forever. No. You're saying a short term, is it exhaustion? Is that the word I'm looking for? Exhaustion is correct. And when you have a stock okay. like Apple that comprises 7% of the S&P and you've literally just broken out to new all-time highs, uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense to say we need to sell the S&P and that markets are going to go down because Apple and Microsoft and other ones are acting quite well and they don't show evidence of exhaustion. Well, Apple's going to close at an all-time high today. I'm sorry. Uh, one more thing on this. So you say expect gains to 197. Is DeMarc involved with where you come up with the price or is that separate uh, work that you're doing? That is separate work. There are parts of his work that will give uh, certain targets based on things like TD propulsion, which is another indicator. We don't need to get into all these today, but there are different things that will help me. I can take the, the area between the high and the low and project and use Fibonacci to try to find areas where you know, if you have a ratio of the former decline, if it's like 138.2 or 161.8, right, right. there are things that all come together that give me a high probability. And so I'll say that in a note. And then as we get closer, if DeMarc indicators start to show up and show evidence of exhaustion, and I always use weekly. I know people, um, you know, are fond of just, you know, saying, well, this has got to sell. But, but honestly, the daily sells in most stocks or even indices tend to be very minor until you line up with weekly and or monthly, in my view. And let me ask you this. So you're talking about everything lining up. You don't need to have a strong opinion on every chart. There could be some things that you see that are just in no man's land, right? If you're looking at the NFL games right. and you're like, all right, I'm very confident that this, this line is bullshit. Like, I, I like this a lot. The others, they're just, you know, they're not for me. You never want to bet any anything if the juice is more than 110. So you don't want to lay a lot of juice on, there we on go. anything, particularly unless you want to hedge if you got a good gain in there. Yeah. Okay. So when clients come to you with their charts, you could just say to them, look, this is not really what I do. Like I'm focused on the charts where I have a, a lot of confidence in my work. And this one just doesn't match up with the way I look at no, stocks. I mean, DeMarc is a very small part of what I do. I mean, right. I, 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 I talk to institutions every day and, and they give me their holdings and I analyze them. I say, well, you know, to basically give them an idea of where they can size up the position, where the technicals are going to line up with the fundamentals, or if it's starting to break out or break down, and that's very important. Uh, where are the critical areas on the chart they need to pay attention to? So some like people that's... that use options can can sell calls right near a former high or, or you know, buy puts or, or do whatever if they want to try to lock in gains. Uh, you know, so they're I different strategies. I feel like that's got to be super helpful to somebody that's looking at a portfolio of stocks that they've selected fundamentally but they, let's say, they want to lighten up and they know they have to make some sales. Right. 
to get a technical perspective on, well, if you're going to sell something, these are the two or three that look the most vulnerable. Even if it doesn't turn out to be perfectly right, if it's just close enough to being right, that's got to add some edge to what they're doing versus other fundamental people who are solely going on their feelings on the fundamentals. I, I agree 100%. I tell people every day, technical analysis is about taking the blindfold off and actually seeing whether trends are up, down, sideways, and, and helping to mirror so you can actually help aid people in, in uh, trying to add alpha to the portfolio manager process yeah. as opposed to, you know, everybody's different. The key is to line up my time frame with what their time frame is. If they're short term, then I'm going to look at things differently versus if they're managing for the next couple of years and they they want to stay in NVIDIA, they want to stay in Apple, but they're concerned about a 5 or 10% correction. And so everybody's different. But uh, yeah, it's certainly, uh, I, I found it's, it It seems like valuable. it would be really helpful. Uh, let's let's run through these. We'll, we'll go, we can go through a little bit more quickly so we don't miss anything. Industrials have broken out versus the S&P in equal weighted terms above the prior peaks from 2008, stretched but has been a great sector, expect pullbacks into fall, will represent good opportunity to buy dips. And you are showing us the equal weight uh, industrials versus the equal weight uh, S&P. Do That's I have that right. right? That's correct. So you look at this chart this looks just amazing. going back over the last two decades, and you've seen a substantial surge back to new all-time high territory yeah. in industrials. So a very bullish sector. Uh, I like being long on an intermediate-term basis. Uh, now, I look at shorter term DeMarc type signals. And many of those say that by July, we're going to have exhaustion. I expect potentially we'll get some consolidation, but I would use that to buy. I, I love industrials. What's powering this within industrials? Is housing, are, are the home builders in the industrial no, sector? No, they're more of consumer discretionary. Okay. So, so what's powering this well, move? Well, it's uh, stocks Def like- Defense? Uh, they had been strong, but a lot of the the Caterpillars, the, the electrical you know equipment it names, the- It's the airlines. IR- uh, the air, oh, transports. So it's, it's Southwest, Deer, Delta, United air, Rentals. Airlines have been very strong over the last two months. Okay. So uh, that, that is part of but the these are, these are all these are all very economically sensitive stocks. And the stock market isn't always right. But man, when you see it breaking out like this, you got to think uh, maybe the market knows something that the economy doesn't. Well, look at what Boeing did about two weeks ago. I mean, it, it was trading sideways for months and months and months and just broke out above to new all-time high. I mean, to new multi-month highs. And, yeah. uh, Cummings, very Caterpillar. Important. GE has been a monster. And uh, Boeing and GE are not breaking out in a true recession. So, like, I think we could mostly agree with that, right? Holy shit. Or at shit. least not at the early stage. I haven't looked at General Electric in a while. Yeah, that's that's substantial. Monster. L look at a weekly or monthly chart and look at the extent of that move off the lows. And, and uh, yeah, we don't right. hear about that often enough. Energy. So you had a little bit of a rally this week for the first time in a while. These stocks just don't look good, though. Um, yeah. Talk to us about, because this was last year's darling, and nobody rang the bell and said, okay, the energy rally's over. But it's it the worst sector this year? It definitely ended this year. It was an interesting... Uh, move in the last year because, you know, crude had started to sell off from last spring, but energy actually held its value pretty well up until about November. And then it really started to get cracked. And uh, you see these stocks bottoming in August on weakness I, and then I, having a better second half. I came into this year with four long sectors, technology, industrials, healthcare, and energy. And uh, energy obviously has Three lagged. for four. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. So healthcare and energy, I expect we are going to pick up. Uh, I think crude oil bottomed and made a 
a bear market bottom in March of 2020 when it went negative. So I expect that. Yeah, that seems like a bottom. Uh, when it goes negative, is <laughs> negative, that a bottom? Negative number. Yeah. <laughs> so no, this, this, this trend classic, is sort of. Classic bottom. Uh, look, I mean, this is equal weighted energy versus the S&P. It certainly isn't a, a, a nice pattern. It's a, a downward sloping uh, triangle. And so for somebody with an intermediate time frame, though, this is where you would be folk. You'd be looking for the strongest stocks in this weak group. Is no, that how you would- I, I would wait till this downtrend is broken before I say it's time to get bullish on energy. Okay. And if people are involved, then yes, you have to look for areas within the group that are doing better. And I think the XOP, like the exploration and production, have done a little bit better than XLE, which are defensive. So stock market rallies, you're going to see underperformance. This looks like shit. I'm looking at, holding up a weekly chart of, of uh, Oxy. Yeah. Looks awful. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been certainly a, a that dog. That doesn't look it's, off. It's in. I, I mean, that you don't think it looks like it's going to break hard. That looks like so. That is in. That's in. I, I did some technical commentary for Tom Lee. We joined forces on his call, and that is what one of his sleeper grannies. So sleeper. What does uh, that mean? I overlay technicals on his fundamental, but that's one of the ones that's sort of a laggard, where it's going to take some time. And you need but patience. Berkshire Hathaway is the bid. Underneath that support level. All right, they until, buy, until they they're not. Until quarter. they're not. But look at this. I so agree. This is on a daily. I mean, that looks super heavy. If it breaks this, this is a lot of support there. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a very well-run fundamental company, but I I think uh, you think that's a breakdown rather than a. I don't I don't make bets ahead of when they occur. I say okay. that it's it's dead money, and right now you have to wait for it to break out or break down, and respect that when it does. Is anticipating breakouts and breakdowns one of the big mistakes that? amateur investors trying to use technicals make? I do that all the time. I do. So. Yeah, That's what I, I do. think you have to follow the volume and, and sometimes you can get some clues if volume is really, really strong. If you're looking for a breakout and you see a period of consolidation uh, and volume is much, much higher on the up days and you can get a sense for how it's starting to, to that it can break out. But yeah, people people do all the time. They say, well, it's a head and shoulders pattern. And it's like nine out of 10 times they're consolidations. They go sideways and then they go back higher. So you have to wait for the break. That's really important. When I look at like the category of my most mistakes, maybe not my worst mistakes, but when I just like look at trades that didn't go well, the thing that I do over and over again, even though I'm fully aware of it, is I'll see a stock that's on the verge of a breakout yeah. and I'll pull the trigger because uh -huh. if I say it's breaking out, it's going to break out. <laughs> of course. And then, wait, but then this that's not even the worst part. Only if you're from Austin. The breakout fails or it does break out and then and then and then it's a failed breakout or whatever. Right. And then I just like forget why I bought it in the first place. And then <laughs> and then like I look back, it's still my portfolio, it's down seventeen percent. And uh that's it, like that's the category of mistake that I look, make. Human more nature often dictates than else. that we all like to buy dips uh, and, and and sell things that are going up. And no, it's I just, like the, uh, I like the opposite. Well, that's good. If you can buy high, sell higher, that's ideal. And but and then sell when low, I cover lower. But, but then when I anticipate them yeah. and they don't happen, I forget why I bought it in the first place and I stay with it. Always give yourself more time than you need on on call options. That's another uh, mistake that rookie traders make. They, well, they, they don't, don't do. understand the okay. concept of burning theta and, and how it affects. Oh, Michael is literally leaking theta right now. All right, let's do this. Uh, let's let's do I this. I cut back my theta consumption. I know you did. I'm proud of you. Let's do the sentiment chart. So yeah, this is interesting. This is just uh, is this Savita stuff. Uh, yeah. Or who, this is out of this is out of this past yeah. month's yeah. Uh, B of A. I, I find this interesting. I find that uh, you know this is one thing that makes me think that you know the institutions are still on the sidelines. We haven't really been moving up substantially. We're and, looking uh, at for the listener. We're looking at uh, sentiment amongst uh, portfolio managers. 
Do I have that right? Fund manager survey. Fund manager sure. survey. Global portfolio manager survey. Right. So a combination of- so This is not AAII. This is pros. That's right. And- uh, Equity ac- equity allocation, uh, you know, growth expectations. Uh, so you're cash. showing that sentiment really crashed during the regional bank credit crunch. Sentiment got lower than where it was during COVID, which is amazing yep. to me. But it hasn't rebounded. That's the thing. And it, it really has, has not, not yet rebounded. recovered. Yep. That's that's what's interesting. Yep. Okay. They're going to have to chase if if this market stays high. And, and some of the CFTC data will also they, they show negative S and P uh, positioning. I mean, so they're different categories, but there's a couple of them that have, have they're still negative with regards to S and P's. Okay. And now you're talking about the AAII uh, flip flopped back to bullish for the first time in months. Right. Uh, important, but this first change to bullish is not likely a meaningful time. So, all right, so the media loves to do this. They see AAII flip bullish and they right. say, oh, oh, the rubes are in. Right. You know, pull, pull the rug now. That's not, you're saying that's not quite how it works. It is important, but it's not, uh, it's not a sign of, of rampant speculative activity. I mean, it's been negative all year. It was literally the first week that it switched to positive. So, you know, it should have. It, it coincided with a, a big breadth expansion. In the why market. wouldn't right? Why wouldn't retail investors be feeling good right now? Look yeah. at like uh, I check, uh, I test. Look at your portfolio. Right. Probably everything is green that you just bought in the last few months. Yep. a lot okay. of them. Yep. So there, there should be positive sentiment. That doesn't mean it's It'd be weird if there wasn't. Okay, uh, advanced decline on the verge of a breakout, back to new all time highs. Let's put yeah, the- this is interesting. So you look at the bottom chart. This is just the S&P advanced decline. We saw a minor breakout in the MYSE, and this is uh, closing in on all-time high territory. So it hasn't happened yet, but it is something that I think is important and uh, very positive. Uh, if healthcare really starts to kick into gear in the next month, which I think it can, and financials can hold up, um, financials I, have well, gone down well, when I look week, at this char- general- When I look at this chart, it's there seems to be a high correlation with price. And then it doesn't necessarily seem like buying these breakouts right. has led to great short-term outcomes for investors. You're right. In the last few years, it's been it's up against okay. the wall. So it, we'll, we'll wait and see. It's just interesting that this is on the verge of potentially breaking out when uh, there's so many people that are negative. And it's had, if you look at the lower end, you just draw a trend line, you've seen a, a pretty nice period of higher lows just since uh, last fall. Okay. The uh, S&P weekly cycle bottomed in May. Yeah. Uh, the decline from March to May echoed equal weighted SPX decline, which has fallen three out of five months, but then turns up sharply in the back half of the year in late May, early June. I believe this turned on schedule. This is seasonality? No, it's not. Okay, this is so looking at explain, to, uh, explain what this highs is. Highs and lows over the last hundred years. And, Do you know uh, this shit? Finding uh, – so I, I use – and I'll give I'll – give I'm sorry. I'll give props to – with uh, babes? What is uh, that Chris on? Paul to the Warriors. I'm sorry. All right. Financial. Uh, this is a foundation for the study of cycles. So they make available a cycle finder tool, which allows you to go over the last however long you like. And uh, they rank um, cycles by strength and Bartell score. And so basically you can, you can put a few together and form a composite. And I've done this. And, you know, this, this time perfectly the peak back in 2000, the peak in 2007, uh, one of the main cycles that, that people should be aware of is one that's about 41 months in length or about three and a half years, like close to the economic cycle. And this is a 180-week cycle along with a few others that I put together. But I'm sorry, did you say 180-week cycle? Yeah. That's about the average lifespan of a person, I believe. <laughs> How long is 180? Is that three years? Three and a half years. Three and a half years. Okay. So in general, this is a... You have very remarkable results when you back test that. You look at over the last 100 years and... Uh, 
and some other ones that I included in here also. But this coming into this year was one of the reasons why I thought we could have a, you know, a nice equity bottom. And you notice that it actually falls into May before turning up. So on an equal weighted basis, I mean, S&P has been down the last three out of five months, right? Right. So it has actually fallen, uh, but now it turned up very sharply right on cue, which I think uh, should lead to a rally the rest of the year. I want to read this from Charlie Grant at the Wall Street Journal. Smaller speculative stocks have endured a historically weak stretch. Investors are betting that a turnaround is finally in the works. The gist of the piece is that investors put $1.6 billion into small cap ETFs last week, um, $3.5 billion all year. So it's a big acceleration, at least for one week. Uh, the Russell 2000 is like stocks that are on average $3 billion in market cap, is up 6.5% in June, the best monthly performance since January, um, better than the S&P for the first time in a long time. Mm -hmm. The index, however, is still down 24% from its peak in 2021, and the Russell 2000 has been lagging the S&P for seven percentage points annually over the last five years, which is the worst relative five-year return for small stocks since 1926. So how important in your mind is a small cap rally just when everyone is done saying it's just seven stocks? Yeah, I agree that that's an interesting headline. And normally those those bearish type headlines come out at, at lows, uh, coincidentally. And so, yeah, you have seen a decent move off the bottom, um, you know, really in, in late May, early June and small caps. Small caps have done well. Uh, the trend is certainly still down in small caps over the last year, but uh, there are some there is some evidence short term of them bottoming. You look at charts of IWM or MDY for mid caps; both of those showed a move almost to the highest levels in the last couple of months. Good moves in the latter part of May, which was lacking for a while. I own a bunch of small cap stocks, not all of them, but some of them feel like they're levitating right now. Just like not even I don't know if it's because money is going into the index and they're just getting bought. Yeah. But that phenomenon has just started over the last, let's say, five or six days. It's certainly a new phenomenon. And yeah. if you look what's happened with cryptocurrency stocks, some of these cheap names, I wouldn't say cheap That's as a technician, but they're right. small, low-priced stocks low uh, that, that are cryptocurrency related have started to really uh, act very well, okay. coinciding with Bitcoin and Ethereum breakouts. So. Some of your macro stuff, which we won't spend a ton of time on. Um, but the dollar rolling over sharply as FOMC policy becomes more wishy-washy and closer to being complete. Yeah, I agree. They paused, but then they said, we're going to do two more. Right. It's, it's, it seems incoherent. They're just preserving the option to act. It's like an attempt by Powell to sort of check, raise a flop. And then if you three bet him, he's got to fold because he really has nothing. So, so you're bearish, I, I think you're bearish dollar though. I am, by, uh, yeah, they're, they're going to hike at least another four or five times in Europe. Uh, ECB and also BOE are, are at least another four times. The Bank of America, uh, Bank of England just did a 50, 50 basis point rate right. hike this right. week. Yeah. So okay. are you bullish commodities? I am bullish commodities. You yeah, would have I, to be, right? If you're I think bearish the dollar, dollar is going to fall to the, the mid to high nineties in the next uh, month or two. And that should, we've already started to see emerging markets prop up and, Decent moves in the grains, nice breakouts in the grains of late. Okay. Um, copper has started to turn higher. So those are, the, I mean, I, I expect that that will happen eventually. To Do you remember like, how inversely correlated the dollar and U.S. stocks were? Like 22? In 20, was that 20, 21? Yep. 21 or 22? 21. Yep. Is that coming back? Uh, if you look at what happened in late May, the dollar uh, peaked and started to decline exactly when the stock market broadened out and broke out. So that, so, so that, that might that be back. That was a direct correlation with dollar weakness, stock strength. So yeah. I, I think that is back. I think um, the dollar pulls back to new monthly lows into July and stocks rally because of that. 
put up the commodity chart, John, if you will. So you're saying buy commodities, uh, relative charts of equal weighted commodity gauges like uh, GSCI. It's the next one. Uh, versus SPX have made minor breakouts, which should show much more strength yep. in the weeks, months to come. But then you have some commodities you like and some you don't. That's right. You want to walk us through that a little bit? Sure. So okay. this is just an equal weighted gauge of commodities versus the S&P. And this is interesting because we have seen, uh, you know, a little bit of bounce in some commodities. Of course, it's not energy per se, but, um, you know, a breakout of this means that commodities actually might outperform the equity market over the next three to six months. And you've seen the momentum gauges start to gradually show some evidence of, uh, positive divergence and turning up breakouts in RSI and, and MACD. And so, uh, yeah, I, I think everybody came into the year thinking that was the home run for this year was commodities and it was a bust. And now it's actually starting to work starting at a time when the dollar is really going to start to roll over specifically because of U.S. policy uh, likely being done, well, close to being done. To that end, I, I'd love to get your thoughts on interest rates. I'm looking at the two-year, which has closed at the highest yep. level since the bank breakdown in early March. Is this going to make a new cycle high? Yeah, a big flattening. I don't think it does make a cycle high right away. I don't think it gets over, what, 5% was a former I peak? think the top was uh, Silicon Valley Bank. Right. Week, we're cl we're close. It. yep, It's not that far away. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's going to – we've had a very big flattening down to almost 100 basis points, right, between uh, – who's tens now. So eventually that's going to matter. I think, uh, you know, my thinking is a 10 year yield is close to peaking out and actually is going to turn down along with the dollar and likely goes to three and a quarter, if not lower. So that's going to provide some relief. That sounds uh, bullish equities. Uh, the correlation has come unwound a little bit. Yeah. Uh, it hasn't, it's not as strong as it used to be. It's actually was inverted. Like yields going up was actually happened as, as equities were going up. Um, you know, they, they had some negative correlation for a while. So we'll see if it returns or not. Uh, I do think that, look, a lot of this regional bank crisis would have been resolved if they just held out for a month and let rates drop about 50 basis points. All these unrealized losses, they would have been able to hedge them. Yeah. And so, you know, rates have been choppy for about a year now. And uh, I, I think that the consumer has some relief to come with regards to um, you know, mortgage rates being down, housing market is going to hold up, stock market goes up. So and then for the time being, but the U.S. economy might very well, you know, end up being stronger. So I think that, uh, you know, the latter part of Q3, Q4, we might see a move back up in rates. But for the time being, my, the next big move, I think, is going to be uh, a treasury rally. Uh, so buy TLT, buy IEF, expect rates fall, roll over, get down to three and a quarter, if not 3%. You have cryptocurrencies playing catch up. And obviously, Bitcoin's made a huge move this week, mostly on the back of the Black uh, the BlackRock ETF application, yep. I would say. Uh, and now Ethereum, USD, uh, uh, underperforming Bitcoin, but now starting to break out. But John, let's do this last one. Uh, ETH, USD, we have this up. I mean, this obviously could be a fake out, but this looks like a pretty real breakout to me. This uh, dovetailed what Bitcoin did on uh, Tuesday when it broke out, and Ethereum did it yesterday. And so both of them have broken two-month downtrends. The shape of the pullback um, is very corrective in Elliott Wave parlance, which and when you get back over the prior lows, which we've done, and now we've actually broken the trend, means that that should go back to new highs for this year. I don't oh, mean wow. all-time highs. I mean that Ethereum likely goes above that 2100 peak in April and probably goes to 2400. I think Bitcoin gets to uh, my target short term is 3536 into July. Uh, I'm not willing to say it's going to double. I think that in general, if equities start to pull back in the latter part of July, coinciding with cycles, coinciding with the mark, 
uh, cryptocurrencies aren't just going to be able to continue to go up regardless of the bullish fundamentals. They're news. highly correlated. We, we've learned. And declines, Nas- they NASDAQ are. NASDAQ and Bitcoin yeah, are yeah. almost one trade. It came uncoupled, decoupled a bit, uh, you know, in recent weeks. But a lot of that was, I think, you know, SEC fining of a lot of, you know, everything. But they they stood up in pretty resilient fashion. Like, were major declines. They held trend lines even through this, all this uh, all right. uproar. So. Just let's get to the important stuff. Uh, could Mark Zuckerberg beat the shit out of Elon Musk if they have this uh, cage match that's uh, being talked about on Twitter? I doubt what do you think? it. No, I, I like Musk's chances. Well, Elon's he's much mu- bigger. He's Elon's heavy. bigger, but Elon's not in shape. But Mark does jujitsu. The question like, is, does are you Zuckerberg- watching Mark's jujitsu lessons on Instagram? Zuckerberg like- might send a bot. You might not know if it's Mark or not. Ah, uh, you see that? I don't. Right, I don't think I don't think Zuckerberg's AI is advanced. Elon's got to have seventy pounds on him, maybe more. Um, he's a little beefier. I don't know if he hits the gym as much as uh, this has put to this, happen. Put this tweet Probably up. More than- I kind of like that. They were joking around. On, I think Elon tweeted something like, sure, I'll fight him. And then Zuckerberg went on Instagram, of course, not Twitter, and said, name the location. And <laughs> Why then is they he called, wearing a bulletproof vest? <laughs> I don't know. It's really, it's odd. Uh, and then and then, uh, and then they went and asked uh, Meta to comment, and they said the story speaks for itself. I, I would pay I to see like that, that at the Sphere in Vegas. You know? Yeah, like, I think a lot of people would. I, I think that'd be a pretty good. Well, one thing I've learned from getting beaten up is that you bet on – the little guy that's in training and is obsessed with with right. um, uh, physical fitness, you don't just bet on the guy who's genetically bigger. That's, that's and I point. was the guy who was genetically bigger. Who beat, so wait, I'm who beat you, you up? Oh, we don't have enough. We don't have enough time on on the show. You, know, you got some good muscle. It's like the BMI. You can't say that anymore, though, right? That's, that's yeah. No, uh, that's, I used to have a big mouth. Not anymore, <laughs> thank God. But I I used to. It doesn't matter. All right. Uh, I I I would say I would say uh, Elon might die. If if they fought, I'm just I'm just being honest. I think you're showing your your political bias, sir. No, not at all. <laughs> I'm watching the kids. I'm watching the kids' training sessions on Instagram. Know. He's he's not joking around. Okay, uh, are you a baseball fan? Uh, I don't watch as much baseball anymore. I, I, I uh, nobody does. I, I'm a I'm more into hockey. My son got into hockey, and, and he's a sophomore at, uh, at DePaul in Chicago. So I, I got into hockey. I, I watch football, professional football, uh, college basketball. I watch the playoffs of NBA. I follow baseball, but I'm not a rabid fan where I'm going to go sit through a, even though they're shortened, uh, a, a game anymore. You know, I, I, it's, it's the thing you take clients to and you can have a drink and you just chat while it's going on. And, and yeah. I'm Duncan, a Red Sox you're, fan. You're, you're watching baseball? Uh, not not really. Not at all. I, I, I don't have time anymore to like, find, sit around watching an entire game. I find it amazing that nobody watches baseball. I used to be super into baseball. All right. Well, uh, one, we're going to leave off on a positive note. Baseball is making a comeback. Attendance has averaged 27,283 a game this season. That's a lot. That's up 7% from last year. I, I don't think that's a baseball phenomenon. That's a post-COVID phenomenon. I agree with you, but we're going to let them have that because television ratings are rising too. ESPN is averaging 1.5 million viewers a game, which is up 7% also, which is probably not a COVID thing. TBS said their viewership is up 26%. I guess they show a game of the week or something. Um they shortened the games. Yeah. So they were uh, – these these games were three hours and five minutes. Brutal. Br- <laughs> no, <laughs> nobody has time for that. Now they're two hours and 37 minutes That's on average. That's a big difference. It's, it's 15, 15% and, difference. And, you know, I, I just – I like uh, more action. I, I don't like uh, – uh, Hockey, very different. It never stops. Right. I would watch baseball yeah. if Arnold was in it. <laughs> uh, agreed. All right. Let's do, let's do favorites. Uh, do you have fun on the show today? Love it. 
Yeah? Great to be with you guys. All right, we yep. have another hour to do, so I'm really glad you're Fantastic. I'm glad you're enjoying yourself. Can I get another glass of wine, please? I'm kidding. <laughs> yes, you may. Nothing. All right, thanks. So, by the way, thanks, Mark Newton. You were outstanding today. Thanks, Josh. Thanks, Mike. We hey, really great to be with lot. you guys. And, uh, yeah. So, favorites is where we just give the viewers something to leave off with that maybe you're reading, something you're watching, mm. something that maybe they don't know about that you want to turn people on to. Wow. Okay, Michael's going to go first. What do you got for us? So... I started watching the new season of Black Mirror, and I very much enjoy that show, but I, I don't watch it, which doesn't make sense. I saw the first season. I think this is the sixth season, and I haven't watched seasons two through five. Hmm. I don't know why. Just never did it. Just fell off. Somebody told me to watch it, and the first two episodes are very good. It's very meta. Netflix is doing some yeah. meta trickery. The second one, I mean, it's, it's, it's good. Very unsettling. Huh. Very unsettling. So I, don't, I go out of my way not to watch anything unsettling. I'm a, I'm a sick puppy. The you love that stuff. The you sec- love horror movies. I lo- the second yeah. episode is is very f***ed up, uh, but I enjoyed the hell out of it. Okay. Have you seen Smile for a horror movie? I loved movie? it. Is that good? You loved like that? Which I, one was, I saw it. I saw it with that? my daughter. That was, that was, that was very oh, scary. That was good. They don't make scary movies anymore. Oh, yes, they do. That's all they make. Yeah. What's your all-time favorite no, really, scary it's movie? No, really, it's all they make. I can give you five. I like uh, the okay, original yeah. Texas <laughs> Chainsaw. <laughs> yeah. The, the of... original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Okay. I like like 76. I like Halloween. I like the the, the, the true, 70s. you know, slow-building, terror, heart, like John Carpenter-type stuff. Like Not the, the thing. jump scare. You like the for, I don't like foreboding. comedy in my horror, like Scream, and we everybody laughs, and it's funny, and, and I just, I like the old-school type What's four and movies. five, you sick bastard? <laughs> the Shining? Yeah, classic. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. let's see, five would be, uh, I, I don't know, maybe it's just four. I get, <laughs> we'll take four. Did I don't you want see, any dead air, so let's see, just go on. Uh, bodies, bodies, bodies. That was no. awesome. That is up. No. Wasn't that fun? New movie. Yeah. Like probably a year old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of fun. You know what I say? A couple of the recent ones, like The Conjuring, I thought was good. Oh, uh, I, love the Conjuring. I thought Paranormal Activity was really well done. Dude, that's like 2007. Uh, Blair, I know, uh, I'm an old guy, right? So, <laughs> Did you see Hereditary? Uh, yes. Okay, that was too much for me. Yep. I didn't finish it. Yep. Oh, you uh, stopped right I when the head went off? I don't like any dead kids, I'm out. Yeah. Yeah, I heard that, the new Oppenheimer is going to be very unsettling for a lot of people. Can I tell you the review that I just saw? You yep. probably saw the same one. Right. That people are walking out of the yeah. theater speechless. Yep. Yep. That uh, doesn't make any sense, but I can't wait. We're going to. I bought yeah, tickets I for wait. that already. IMAX. Okay. Yeah. We're going to go see it in IMAX. That's the way the director wants us to see it. Uh, I just wanted to give a shout out to Arnold Schwarzenegger's uh, documentary on Netflix. Did you watch it? I haven't, no. You're going to get to it, though, right? Great, of course. Yeah, Everything's yeah. on a list. Yeah, yeah. Okay. My yeah, list gets bigger and bigger. My list, <laughs> I don't get to anything, but it's there. <laughs> Did you finish it? Oh. I finished it the first. I couldn't turn it off. I watched all three at once. Oh, yeah, we spoke with, yeah he's the best, the best. And my God. He's the I, best. I wish he could be the president. Yeah. I know he can't be, uh, but uh, this is this maybe the best three hours you'll spend watching Netflix yeah, this year. Excellent. Tru- yeah, excellent. Truly. He's a... He's a all right. Shout, Here so, are the lamentations of their women. That's right. Uh, that's right. Hercules. Right? Um, one of the funny things about that is when they were making Conan, he barely spoke English. <laughs> so you picture them teaching him to say lamentation. It was probably not easy. I kind of sounded like missing Deutsch back in that way, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He knows uh, Austrian German. So that's good. right. Of course. Uh, all right. Our thanks to Mark Newton today. We want to let people know uh, we got something from Fungstrat where here, the compound audience will receive exclusive access to all Funstrat Insight research from Mark Newton, Tom Lee, and the entire team, along with all stock lists, webinars, etc., using the following link. It's fsinsight.com slash the compound. And that's not forever. 
So, right? I'm assuming. I don't know. How, I don't know what the time limit is on that. I but think it's the next uh, few weeks. This or will something. be exhausted yeah. by we'll, July. We'll, we'll try to, guys. You have to is, do it tonight, or if, else it's going to run out. If yeah. you want to read Mark stuff, Accurate. Tom stuff, yep. go to fsinsight.com/slash/the-compound. Our thanks to Mark. Where's the best place people can follow you? You're a Twitter guy. Uh, are you at Mark Newton CMT? I don't do a lot with Twitter. I, I jump in and you off and on, charts. but I put charts on. Okay. I at, at Mark Newton CMT uh, contact. Well. Uh, no, you don't want any. No, no nobody contact contacting you. No, 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 no. All right. And you're on Follow LinkedIn. Follow me on Twitter and uh, you can DM me. And you're on uh, LinkedIn uh, too, where people can DM LinkedIn. you and yep. get free career advice. That's 24 <laughs> 7. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Mark, you're the man. Excellent. Thank you so hey, much. Thank for you guys very much. Appreciate Excellent. it. Good hey, time. guys, make sure to like and subscribe. We will see you next week. All right. All right. I'm melting. You guys thought that was I was good. Technicals make you tired, you know?